I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Well, when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop. And when I got the chance to go, I said I'd stay going. So it opened up. We were only the small little fish out there, so we are in there. We're trying hard to make it through. But it's hard to get the breaks when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know. And it's just I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of Walford today because, like, I'm hard, I'm heartbroken. All right, two men on the show today. Two men who reached the summit and then some. Two different codes, but two very different plans for 2020. Shane Dowling mm-hmm. and Philly McMahon. And two good, interesting chats and two good, interesting men, obviously. So rather than me shouting on, we're just going to get straight into it here. So Shane, my heart goes out to you. How, how are you feeling? Like I say, your world has been rocked over the last week. How, how's your head? Yeah, listen, that's not too bad. Um, you know, the last couple of days have obviously... Uh, you know, been fairly hectic and uh, very thankful for that, to be honest. But, uh, you know, I went away on Saturday afternoon. I went away. Uh, I came back there yesterday evening and then didn't, didn't do a whole pile on the phone. Just took a bit of a break and uh, listened back to work today. Back to normality and life goes on. So, you know, what can you do? Did you head anywhere nice or where where did you go away? Oh, I'm sorry. I went down to Kilkee just, yeah. And they even, I went down with my girlfriend and she was saying, gee, would you not go maybe to some place that like, going down to Kilkee is like going down to another Limerick, you know? But uh, no, I, I enjoy going down there and uh, did the cliff walk and went for a swim twice and uh, went away for dinner and that. So um, just that, uh, listen, it was nice and it cleared ahead and I like going back there. I, I find peace down by down by the ocean anyway. And uh, so that, that's where I decided to hit to and, uh, you know, I was thankful to be able to do it. So I was looking through, like the amount of tributes were coming in for you. It was unreal. It's hard to keep on top of them. But some of the names that were popping up, like uh, you know, I saw Darrell O'Brien, Michael Fennelly, Anthony Daly, The Rock. You know, we had people from Clare, Galway, Tipperary. There were footballers from Mayo, footballers from Ulster, even that they were they were all just sort of queuing up to to pay tribute to you. Like what what was the maddest thing that you've seen, or who's the the strangest thing? I suppose the per- person has got in touch with you. Yeah, um, listen. I, 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 as I said, I've been extremely humbled and, and very thankful for the for the various different messages that I've got from people and for anybody that took time out of their day to contact me uh, via directly or, or on social media. Um, borderline embarrassed by it, to be honest. But um, you know, very very thankful that people thought of me, I suppose, and had, had kind words to say. Um, you know, and as you said, there's been a lot of a uh, lot of high profile people contacting me as well. But I've uh, been honest about it. I whether a uh, whether a high-profile person contacts me or whether somebody this is, you know, that might consider themselves, you know, that uh, high-profile, uh, it, it means the same to me. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't look at it that way at all. Obviously, to get the respect from past past players and present players uh, is, is, is nice to receive and obviously shows that they held you in some bit of a regard. But um, for anybody that contacted me or anybody that said any nice words to me, um, I look at it the same way, and, and I'm very thankful for for anybody that did that. And um, you know, thank, thankfully, there was a lot I didn't know 
what the reaction there would be. And to be honest, it didn't really bother me or concern me. I just know I had to do what I, what I had to do to, to clear my own head. And um, you know, obviously since 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 Thursday morning, I have received you know the amount of messages and um, you know just repeating myself here, but very very thankful for for people that um, that that did that. It's actually, I find it very easy to sort of get lost in the, the player that you were and the, the impact that you had on, say, Limerick Hurling especially, and the Piercy, of course. But we had, uh, Niall McIntyre has Shawnee Tobin on, and he was talking about just the, the buzz that you brought to the changing room. Like, you know, and the sort of person that you were and like how good crack you were in the, in the training ground and stuff like that. Is that is that something that you're really going to miss, never mind the pucking around and the shooting? Absolutely, and you know, it's, hurling is one thing. Of course, I'm going to miss that. That goes without saying. That's what I love doing. Um, you know, but the dressing room crack that we had, whether it be from Shawnee's time, which was back in, you know, we say 2012 when I started, up to 2017 when Sean was there, and uh, from from then on, you know, uh, the, the dressing room has always been mighty cracked. Probably more so in recent years. Um, than it was back then because hurling went through a phase where for a number of years like you know everything has to be so serious that if you smiled in a dressing room you know people might be wondering if that led tuned in at all and that definitely wasn't my character because I was you know I'm a happy-go-lucky character I suppose and might have a bit of crack and for a couple of years uh, everything became extremely serious and um, the the, the crack was kind of taken out of it, and uh, myself and Keen Lynch would be would be great friends, or, or we think alike. And um, I remember in 2017 when John came in with the two, we had a conversation and said, "Listen, we need to start bringing the fun element back. We need to start having a bit of a laugh and a bit of crack." And uh, but that's because the way the two of us were, I suppose, and we don't, you know, at times not try not to take life too serious, and um, you know, and that's what we did. So. They, they decided to bring the speaker into the dressing room and um, the tunes would be going 90 up to maybe half an hour before the ball would be thrown in uh, after after games to be to be good fun lads singing songs and you know as I said whatever the case would be some lads might drink a few beers other lads would do whatever they want to do and, um, so that's the crack that'll be missed um, and you know that, that, that'll be very that'll be a big hole in my life big gap in my life to fill a void in my life Um you know, I, I always look forward to that and that's not there for me anymore. But, um, you know, that it, it is what it is and there's nothing I can do about it. No one to find other ways to, to have that left. Did, did you find that changing then so much so that even like maybe after a defeat, you could have a laugh around it? Like something that always sticks out for me is I remember just turning to somebody after we lost a club match and I just made a joke. And a few people laughed, but then we all got balled out of it because we weren't seem to be taken seriously enough, but did you find that that had sort of gone away over the last few years? Well, when obviously when you had a defeat, it's different. That goes without saying. Like if you lost a match, or if you lost a, if you lost any match, you know obviously that that crack isn't there afterwards because you know obviously people are disappointed or upset or uh, you know people know they didn't perform to their best possible capabilities. And um, so no, I have to say after after. Um, after disappointing result or disappointing game, you know it was there was there was very little music afterwards. But uh, what would be there is you know the, the principle stayed the same for us that you know after a game, well there mightn't be too many laughs or jokes. You know the the, the management team would still bring in you know a couple of beers and whatever it was, and people would just sit down and relax because it was all about relaxing after a game. I think sometimes after a game and your your adrenaline is so high that if you just go into the dressing room, leave, you know you, you you're, you're 
everything is mad after a game, you know. So we just really chilled out. Uh, stay. We, we always stay in the dressing room, I'd say, for a hell of a lot longer than any other teams. Um, and whether it be a win or a loss, that's what we did. But obviously, after loss, the, uh, the enjoyment wouldn't have been as good as if, if you won. Seems to me that you have a really nice grasp of what the what the GA say is for you. Like obviously you're a great player and you train hard, but when I hear you talking about the changing room and like you know just the sort of savouring it, I saw your tweet about the ninety nines on the pitch. Like you told the story of the train going back to Limerick after the twenty eighteen All Ireland final. You know it's it just sounded amazing. Like Derek McGrath told me that you know you gave him directions one time from a club game after Martinstown. You told him they follow you and you got him onto the motorway. Like, is that to you what the GA is like more so than the the medals and the points and goals? One hundred percent. And I remember that. I remember that game uh, vividly, where, where I gave Derek the directions. It was Martinstown, and for somebody that wouldn't be from Limerick, uh, Martinstown can be you know a, a long way away from trying to get back into the city. So, uh, but yeah, that's I suppose. I, listen, I can only speak for myself. That's my character. I I I love helping people. I love when people help me. Uh, I love having fun and I just like you know whatever about hurling that's one thing but I I think it's very important in life to be kind you know it doesn't cost anything and you know if you're kind to people that's what you expect to receive back and I don't see that as you know I don't see that as, as to get plaudits for it I just see that as life I see that's the way everybody should be to be honest Um, so like you know Derek coming out saying that is obviously nice to hear but I, I wouldn't expect any if that was anybody else I would expect them just to do the same thing. Just like if I was under pressure to get someplace and I needed directions, I would expect somebody to give me a hand. It's mm. just what I, I, I expect. I expect kindness in life. That's what I give. And it's, it's no different than when you play when you play hurling. Like hurling is there to, to be enjoyed, right? That's what we all grew up as kids. We enjoyed going down to the pitch. We enjoyed meeting up with our friends. We enjoyed having a laugh. And when when you when you grow up and you become older and you start playing with bigger teams and high profile teams and into high profile competitions, and I think that, that can drift away. And I do believe that did drift away for a couple of years, genuinely. And I think that definitely reflected reflected on people's performances. And one motto I have in not in life and in relation to sport is that you know happy player off the field, happy player on the field. So if you're a happy player in terms of your life and what's going on in your home situation, you bring that into the training session, you know, you go in, you do your training session, you know, you're happy in there and then match day, you're happy to go play the match and then you perform better. So that's, that's the way I see it. Uh, obviously, when when, the tra- when time comes, we have to go training, obviously that's taken serious and obviously you want to, you know, give it the best possible you know, go, I suppose, while you're there for that 90 minutes or whatever it is. But after that, you know, you need to go back to the, the whole enjoyment aspect of it. And that's the way I see it. I know it's a lot, uh, the way a lot of us see it down here in Limerick. And maybe that's part of, part of the reason why, why we've had success. What won't you miss? <laughs> because it's not all uh, glamour all the time. Like, and will you enjoy a bit of the freedom maybe? And I know you said before that you can be a... You can be a moody player sometimes, you know, if, if things aren't going your way. Like, so is there an element where you might actually enjoy not having to be so switched on 12 months a year? Yeah, and listen, you know, it, it's, it's, I think that's a very fair point because, you know, everybody sees the good times. And this was over recent days, everybody will, will relive, relive various different clips of, 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 you know, what I've done throughout my career. But, like, nobody will, will go back over the, the bad tips or the, the, the the bad days or the down days and uh, I've had a lot of them uh, 
like I was there. I played eight years. This would have been my ninth, and then all them in eight, in eight years, there's been a hell of a lot of lows. Um, and I suppose my problem is that I do go from being too high to too low. I'd love to find a balance in between. I get very wound up and excited when you win or we get a high or when I play well. But then if I don't play well or if we don't go well as a team, I get very low. And them very low that night, uh, I certainly won't miss them. Um, you know, I have to mind myself, uh, my body more so than a lot of people. So I have to, I have to train you know, extremely hard and, and or I had to train extremely hard and, and keep myself in the best possible shape uh, a lot more than most people and that was very demanding mentally as well as physically. Uh, I certainly won't miss that. And, um, you know, but that's that sport. I mean, you, nobody goes through sport, you know, having a fantastic career where they've had no lows. That's that's the buzz of it and that's why the buzz, that's why I always got the when when, when things went well, that's why the buzz I always got. I always went extremely high you know, and then when things didn't go well, I went extremely low, and I always lived for that buzz of I always wanted to do something well, or I always wanted to perform well to find that buzz and to get up that high. Um, so maybe going forward in my life now, I might find a balance in between where I don't go from one to the other. Mm. In a way, like you've always seen the game, I think from a very mature point of view. Like I remember after, maybe it's easier after you won in all Ireland, but you talked about. Uh, John Kelly not starting you for the final, and you said you probably wouldn't have done the same because it went so well in the semi final. But I just, I still, even though I find that incredible, like you know, that you're all time leading scorer. It's not like you're, you're just a good player. You are like one of the stars of Limerick. And, you know, I think in any other county, somebody might, you know, take a hump or something like that, or just think, you know, that they should, like it makes sense for them to be playing. But for you, it was always just Limerick first and, and team first. Yeah, but again, I, I again, I, I don't see why I should receive credit for that. Uh, I, I, that's what I would expect from other people. And I, I, I gave five years in the Pearson. I took a team over when they were under ten, and uh, I brought them to when they were up to Fela when they were fourteen. That finished last year. So what I and I think it was a, a great move out of me for one to give back in the Pearson and two to, to help out the underage, but also uh, to to put myself into management shoes. So any if I ever had to approach John or, or Paul Kenorka about anything, I'd always kind of pull myself back and put myself into their shoes and, and then and you know and that would give a different perspective on it. Um and yeah, I go back to that. Would I like to start the All Ireland Finals? Of course I would. I found it very difficult in that. Um but I the right decision was made, you know, and that's I don't see why I should say any different. If I if I believe the wrong decision was made, I'd have come out and said that as well. But um, yeah, it was all it all it, it all is Limerick Limerick first and team first, and um, it's the same even with I sometimes don't particularly like taking credit for a lot of things because um, there was there were so many people in my life that that helped me out and guided me in the right direction, and without them I wouldn't be where I or wouldn't have got to where I did. So while I suppose essentially it does come down to me and it comes down to your your will to win and your drive and your skill and your ambition and all them things. Uh, if 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 many people didn't uh, guide you in the right direction, then I, not, none of that would have happened. Um, so that's again, that's just my personality, and that's what I expect from other people. Anyone that makes it about themselves uh, in any walk of life, uh, you won't find me around them too often anyway. So I was just going to ask you about your your under fourteen team. Actually, you took them for five years. I think it was the whole way up. Did, does that give you maybe not the same buzz, but does that give you a buzz? It can be quite addictive coaching. 
Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. I took that team over when they were 10. And I said, I said, day one to the lads that were in front of me, and I said it to the players even that they won't remember. I said, my ambition is I'm going to take these lads to the Fela. I want to win the Fela. And that's what happened, thankfully. We, uh, we, we won the Fela here in Limerick and we got to the Ireland stages. And, uh, well, you know, we didn't do fantastically up there. Uh, you know, I think we, I, I, we, we had a target. Um, and... You know, reaching and it's the same principle. Reaching that target and achieving what we wanted to achieve was very, very satisfying. And I would just love to think. And I, but see, the, the, what I see here is when I was their age, I remember different people that put so much in for for the teams I was involved in. So I just want to give that back because that's what was done for me. And uh, I did it. I do find it quite addictive. I love the coaching. Uh, I suppose my character is that I'm not in or I'm all in. And I was never going to take over that team if I was only going to turn up once or twice a month uh, I I said and I took it over that's it I'm, I'm heavily I'm fully involved uh, and I was and I loved it um, was it demanding it was but I suppose the way I look at it is that if, if you want to do something in life you would make excuses uh, to do it not not to do it and I, I believe a lot of people in life find excuses not to do something um, but as I said if you want to do something then you find excuses to make it happen So what was your uh, what was your philosophy then with the with the failure team? Um, I listen. I didn't have any philosophy, but I, I was I, all I wanted was commitment from the players, um, and I, you know, from the players and the parents. This was what we have to realise here: that you're not contacting the players at all. Everything has to go through the parents. Um, and I wanted to be fair to everybody. Did I fall out with parents along the way? I did. Uh, did I make mistakes along the way? I made loads of them, and I'm sure I'll make more enemies and more mistakes as time goes on. But uh, everything I do in life, I suppose, I just try to be fair to everybody. And if that upsets people along the way, well, then they got to get over it. Because I'll rest easy in my mind knowing that uh, I don't do politics. And um, if people don't like that, then I won't be involved with them. And um, I, I'm a straight person. And some people like it and some people don't. And that was my attitude with the kids. And I think, I'd like to think they enjoyed it. Uh, I have a great relationship with, uh, with them. And, um, you know, I'd be very intrigued to see how they progress uh, as they go through the years and as they develop into men. So, like, would you, even at that level, that you had parents coming up to you and wondering why X isn't playing and, and stuff like that, or what, why they're not playing in their best position or, or whatever else? Yeah, I've, I've had to do with many phone calls. Um, I suppose as time had done, the way I looked at it was that from 10 to 11 to 12, and even up to 13, uh, any kids uh, that turned up for a match would play even if they were on training uh, because they were young kids and uh, they might have been playing different sports or whatever else. But then come the uh, from the very start of 14, uh, I said, you know, teams would be picked on, on uh, performance and, and uh, uh, people that turned up for training and turned up for matches. But then, I, you know, I said they won't just be picked on that. It'll be turned up on performance and trained and performance and matches. And the kids have to realise they're 14 now. It's failed as a you know, serious competition at that age. And, uh, you know, some uh, parents weren't happy. But, um, you know, I think if you're a manager of any job and you don't follow with anybody or you don't make any enemies, then you're not doing your job right. So you must be one of the few coaches in Ireland who actually sticks to that if you don't train, you won't play scenario. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I will, I would rather lose with an honest team than win with a dishonest team, and I think, uh, I think as time goes on, people appreciate that, and uh, we, I think, you know, we, there was, there was, uh, there was many games that we won where our best team wasn't on the pitch, but with an honest team on the pitch, mm-hmm. and very quickly you create, you create a, you create a group that understand what you're about, and um, 
you know, in fairness, uh, the majority of them would, would, would buy into it. And um, even sometimes my, my, my girlfriend would have heard me having conversations with different members of the management team wondering were they 14s or were they seniors. But uh, that's, that's <laughs> what, you know, I, I, went, I went all in. And listen, I'm making it sound as if, I, you know, I, I, I loved it. I enjoyed it. We had very, very little hiccups along the way. I did some fantastic people with me. And I think I had a panel of 26, including some 13-year-olds for a finish. And um, other smashing kids. Died. And I said it to Masters, they genuinely would hold a special place in my heart because we gave it everything for five years. And I'd like to think that they're in a good place now. I just find it incredible that you're doing this whilst winning in All-Ireland as a county player, do you know, <laughs> and you know, with, with your club team as well. It's a... No, but I, I, I don't buy that. I, I, I don't buy that. I don't I, I don't understand that. And I, I don't get people say, oh, you're playing with Limerick and they're coming down here training kids. I don't buy that. I mean, I, I'm from the Pearshig. I live close to the Pearshig. You train, you know, you train four nights a week or five nights a week maybe with... Um, with with Limerick and then you've you know, you could only give an hour to the kids down, you know, in the place that you love. And the problem I suppose with intercounty players is that they don't get to go down to their club uh, as often as they might want to. But I wanted to ensure that I didn't become separated. And I think uh, we we've created a culture now in the Pearshick. I mean, if 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 you look at the so if you look at the sixteens team now, you've David Dempsey's involved with Niall Buckley, a senior club player, uh, the fifteens and sixteens, uh, Kevin Downs is, is over the fourteens. Peter and Michael Casey are over the 13s. William McDonough, who's over the 10s. Ronan Lynch is over the 11s. So, you know, that's we, we appreciate in the Pearshig uh, what, what the club did for us. And all we're trying to do now is give back and ensure that the underage in the Pearshig is going to stay strong because we know that we're not going to stay around forever. Look at me, I don't know when I'm going to hurt again, or if I'll hurt again. Um, so, and that could happen to anyone over the next couple of years. So, we just want to ensure that we've kids there to replace us. What were you like as a as an under fourteen? Is it true that you used to be a goalkeeper at underage at some stage? Yeah, I enjoy goals. Uh, I played so when I was fourteen. I think I played in goals for the minors for two years, and I, so any maybe three or four years above my age, I'd about as playing goals. I played in goals for minor county final. We were beaten. Um, and to guess, I, I always said that's probably where I'll end up. But I didn't think it maybe as soon as it might come. But uh, it's, it's it's nice knowing that I played there and I enjoyed it because I maybe left no choice in the future but to play there. <laughs> You'd be eyeing up the the senior goalkeeper now at the minute, <laughs> pushing him. Over yeah, there. Padge. Uh, Padge has been there for a couple of years. There's no fear, Padge. Uh, um, but uh, whether it be this year or not, whether I'll be able to go after him, I don't know. But it might be next year. And like to tell me, is that do you think that helped hone your sort of you're always sort of credited for your razor sharp passing and your vision? Like does playing goals at underage, especially at age groups above you, does that does that help that? Yeah, I, I don't know, to be honest. Uh I, I again I, 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 I look at it differently to everybody else. If I'm if I'm going back into goals, uh, you know, I, I understand maybe what a forward is thinking more so than if I never played there. Is it would it help? Probably. But uh, you would create your own knacks inside goals and uh, you'd probably stick by that. You know, definitely, uh, but everyone thinks differently. You know, so I could be seen, if I'm standing in goals and there's someone coming through, I know where I put it, but that doesn't mean that's where he's going to put it. So you have to kind of, you have to weigh up every situation as you see it, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, here we, we mentioned uh, Seanie Tobin earlier on. What's you, him and Gavin O'Mahony, you all had a horse and it was pretty successful. Is that is that still going? Yeah, no, no, no. We got, I don't know, we get two years out of it. We bought a, we bought a horse. I think it was for twelve hundred euros, uh, and it ran thirty six times before we bought it, and never won a race. And I think uh, it, it won seven races for us. It won above the Curra, 
uh, I'll never forget that. It was like Jeannie winning above in the curl. It was like winning your All Ireland in, uh, in Crow Park in a in a hurling uh, match. But we great fun with it, and um, yeah, sure. Who knows? We might get involved in something again down the road. It was only offered a bit of sport, a bit of fun. You know, uh, you're playing hurling at a, at a high level. Sometimes you need you need something else to uh, to enjoy. And while I would have a big interest in racing myself, and friendly with a lot of jockeys, uh, I always find that. Um, something to, to enjoy. I love going off to race meetings uh, throughout the year and having a bit of a laugh and uh, obviously that's something I'd be able to do more now as well. Like, did you have, why did you have so successful? Was, was that just a bit of luck or did you have the Midas touch? No, just very, very lucky. We were like some people, I'd say there's people involved in racing for the last 30 years. They've had more horses and they've never had a winner. We just, we just got extremely lucky. Yeah, well tell me, like what's, I don't want to ask you what's next, but it must, it's going to be a bit weird for you, right? Because I make it about uh, 10 years of unbroken commitment if you go from minors up to up to now. Obviously, you played with under-21s and won a monster while you were a minor as well. Like, So it's going to be a bit weird from 2010 to now, basically, you've been a, a Limerick man. Yeah, and as John Coyle said to me, I first got to, I got, first got to know him in 2010. And... Um, you know, as he said to me the other night, he said, never did I imagine that uh, I'd still be involved in Limerick longer than you were. You know, so it, it's, uh, it's a big, it'll be a big change. There's no other way with that. But as I said, between the passion I have for the club and the passion I have for the county and just the passion I have for the game of hurling, um, that's what I'll miss the most. And, you know, going down to the pitch playing hurling, that's what I'll miss. You know, everything else comes, comes and the success you have along the way makes it all the sweeter. But at the end of the day, I'll miss hurling. I'm going to have to replace it with something um, hurling, hurling wise as well. And whether that's, I don't know what it could be. I'm sure, as I say, as I've been told many times now, once one door closes, another door will open. Please God, please God, another door will open. I'm sure it will. Like you said in your statement, that's sport, that's life. So nail it every chance you get. And Jesus Christ, Shane, like you, you absolutely nailed it. And I take it that's something that you're going to be preaching to everybody. No, you don't. You just don't know when it's going to be your last game. Yeah, and I said it to the players. I said it to the to the group to the group of Limerick players. Uh, you know, for, for I've, I've spoken to most of them now at this stage, and um, I said it obviously before I had to leave the group. I just said, lads, don't ever give out if we're going to play a match again or going out to play in wintry conditions because I can tell you something. I'd only love to be doing it again. Yeah, well, Shane, like, congratulations on an unbelievable career. Like I know it was. It was shortened, but you squashed more into those years than most could dream of doing in five lifetimes, and look. You've inspired children all over the country to pick up a hurl and, and be bold of it and, and dare to dream. So, well done and congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you. And can you take your own advice, actually, and go absolutely mental over the next few weeks and enjoy it? <laughs> <laughs> I probably will have to, yeah. <laughs> Cheers, Shane. Thanks for that. No problem at all. You're listening to the Philly McMahon interview on the GAAR on Sports Joe with thanks to the Irish Association for Counselling and Psychotherapy. Launching this week, look after yourself. All right, so during lockdown, I found myself going down a lot of rabbit holes and they were getting deeper and deeper, so much so that I came across the 2008 Oberon Cup final between Longford and Dublin and didn't realise I'd forgotten what an absolute cracker it was. So, like, Longford were five points up, steaming home, going into injury time in Parnell Park. And uh, Jason Sherlock, bang, bang, two goals for Dublin. Like, the crowd were on the pitch beforehand. It was unbelievable scenes. But what I hadn't realised was that this was Philly McMahon's first title with Dublin. And probably your fourth or fifth game at that stage, uh, Philly. Do you even remember that much? 
I do, yeah, I do. I remember it well. Um, I, I was I was under twenty one that year. Um, it was my second year at twenty one, and um, I'd played a couple of games before that, and uh, and then I went off and played a game for for the twenty ones. Then I lost my place against Longford. So, uh, oh, actually, sorry, did I play that game? Actually, that's not too long ago. I don't know if I played or not. You did play I that game. I played it. Did I play and I came off, did I? Yeah, you played 15 minutes, I think. And oh, geez, that's how old I am. That's how old I am now. I forgot about it all. <laughs> uh, but I remember, yeah, being obviously, the staff of Jamie Connolly were the only under-21 player at the, uh, under players at the time. So uh, that's what was sticking in my head. But yeah, no, I remember the game well. Um, Longford were, were moving quite well. Like, um, and I think Brian Kavanagh had a great game that day. Um <sighs> I think he played well that day and, and we were struggling and I think they thought they had a one and then JL stepped up and he got an unbelievable force goal um, or a second goal I don't know which one it was he, he buried it um, but the crowd went absolutely ballistic because there was no way we should have won it like there's no way we could have came back at all the game was over like yeah, it was absolute madness. Like the, the first goal was a complete mess. It was like Bernard Brogan kept it in on the end line and just threw it back in and then J.O. just scrambled it in. But then I think Dermot Brady hits him a shoulder and J.O. turns around and hits him an elbow in the face and yeah. wasn't really erected. And then J.O. scores an absolute screamer. Yeah. But it was like something out of a different world because the crowd were on the pitch before full time and stuff. You wouldn't think that this was the Dublin team that would go on and win so much. Yeah, geez, looking back now to what we've we've basically uh, won to, to like the crowd wouldn't I'd say blink at that nowadays <laughs> you know the way um, the way things have went so it's, it's been an, un- an unbelievable journey uh, when you do reflect back on uh, games like that and and, um, and certainly it's, it's just been it's been a whirlwind that flew through as well at the same time you know yeah well especially if you can't even remember if you played or not that's, <laughs> that's how you want to well, tell me this. There's something I've always really wanted to ask you. So ever since the replay final there last year, um, so uh, 2019 against Kerry, obviously, yourself and Tommy Walsh are lining up. I remember watching it from the stand. And, like, obviously, I think Dublin or Jim Gavin had learned from the first day. Tommy Walsh came on. He scored an amazing point. He set up 1-2 directly. And everyone said, Philly McMahon should have been on him. So it seemed like Dublin were ready this time. Like, so as soon as Tommy Walsh stripped off, Philly McMahon stripped off. And I remember the two of you standing there sort of tussling on the sideline before the board even went up and and then you were running yeah. underneath the hill together and they were going nuts because you were shielding each other the whole way down and honestly that like 15 seconds is one of the most entertaining things and exciting things I've ever seen like <laughs> yeah it was, such, it was such a coincidence that when he went on I went on <laughs> um, but yeah no he, he, he done uh, he, he done well on, on, on in the, the, the first game and um it's something that definitely we need to look at. Um, you know, brought a different dynamic to the game in terms of his height um, and obviously the speed and the other players around him very well. So, um, so I just wanted to make him make him know that I was coming on with him. You know, <laughs> so uh, we had a good battle, and we actually know what we had a good battle this year in the league. Um, uh, we we marked each other in the league in the first game and. Um, yeah, no, it was nice. Like, I mean, for me, it was just about getting on the pitch. I just wanted to be on the pitch regardless of who I was marking um, and do me do me bit for the team. So, to get on and um, and to mark um, a guy that done decent enough the, the first day and uh, 
and do me bit and do me job. That was the that was the key thing that I wanted. So it's nice to bring a bit of fireworks to it as well in an all Ireland final. So uh, a little bit of that going on to the pitch is no harm either. Oh yeah, no, it was, it was absolutely. You know, honestly, it was so enthralling. But like, was that say your brief then? Like, you know, so when Tommy Walsh coming on, you're coming on. So you must have been gagging for him to get on. Like, <laughs> you were just keeping an eye on him on the sideline more than anything. Well, well, not really. Like, because the, the big thing for you is like, if you think that way, if you think you're just coming on when another player comes on, you could be surprised really quickly. Like, because I thought I was actually coming on a lot earlier than that. I think, I think it was a mixed fifth nearly. Yes, he nearly got a black card, um, and like he obviously did. There was some incident where obviously it wasn't him or something. Something happened. I remember, and someone said to me, "It was a black card to warm up with fifty and I was like, "All right," and I went down to warm up, but nothing happened. Nothing came of it. So you got to be ready. You can't just say, "This is when the player comes on, you're going to you're going to come on," like because it's. It, um, you know, you could get caught out fairly quickly. So, so when he was coming on, yeah, I was going to go on, but but I was also thinking of right if a player gets injured or if someone gets a black card, um, you're 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 going to be brought in. So be ready for it. So, so you're kind of watching your opposition. You're watching the the possible players you could be marking. So that's why you got to be adaptable. If you're if you're thinking of just marking, let's say Tommy Walsh is this big tall fella, and then all of a sudden you get brought on before he comes on. You're marking someone that's let's say small and juicy and fast, and then you're kind of like you're, you're killing yourself in, in in your preparation um, before that happens. So you've got to be adaptable. How do you navigate that sort of height difference? Because you know, even with Kieran Donaghy, it's it's not it's not always the tallest lads who who do the best on him. It seems to be is it timing or just not getting caught under the ball, or you know, I think you could you can match him for strength on the ground, but the height thing never seemed to to bother you. Yeah, no, I didn't. Um, I was, I was actually always a, a, like for the club and stuff like that. I played full back, so a lot of people think, uh, you know, over the last couple of years I've been more of a corner back, and I have. But I've, I've played full back on all the, the main big target men. Um, so you know, over the years you get used to, it. and when you're getting battered by Arno Garda every week, you kind of get really good at it. So having someone like him, you're marking him week in week out. It's great, but it, I suppose. Um, it's something that you know you don't really have to be you don't really have to have the height if you have if you've got good good spatial awareness if you've got good positioning if you've got good strength levels um, I think those things can help you especially when you're marking a big fella like Tommy Walsh 6'5 I think he is mm. um, I'm only 5'11 so you kind of you, you can you can use your your low center of gravity to that some, that person that's quite tall to to your advantage. So um, again, it's just it's one of those things that I've had to adapt and get on with it, like you know, and, and do a job for the team um, and make sure that like I, I don't always like just staying there in the defense and marking a big fellow as you know. I like getting up the pitch a bit, so you just but again, what it comes down to is what's your job for the team and, and, and how well can you do it. Yeah, and just just finally on that, how do you how do you do that? Like because it seems like you almost have to be out in front of him, or because you don't want to be behind him because he's so tall. But obviously you don't want to get caught with a ball and over the top. So like, what what position are you taking up on Tommy Walsh? It depends on the player. It depends on the player because you have you've got you've got lads that are quite tall but can win a ball out in front of you, and then are quite um, 
direct when they can do that, like, you know, but when you have somebody that's a feeder who, even if he got the ball out in front of you, it's not in his DNA to get the ball, go at you and go straight for goal. Um, whereas there's other players that they get the ball out in front of you um, and they can go direct at you and they can they can cause you more damage that way. So it's just, it's, it's reading the player, like, you know, so you could have a, let's say a Michael Murphy, like, um, who if he gets that ball in behind you, he's going to go straight for goal. Like, But he also, if he gets the ball out in front of you, he's quite dangerous and, and you have to judge that. You have to, you know, you have to be smart in your positioning. Um, but when you're marking a, a, a feeder, so basically somebody that gets the ball and, and, and you know, it's, I think every forward line should have one. They, they feed with our players in because if you, had, if you hadn't got a feeder, everybody would be out for themselves. Yeah. So, you know, when you're marking someone like him, uh, marking from behind is probably, or to the side of him, is probably the best positioning because, um, because you you know, if he gets in behind you, then you're obviously there's more damage you can do in behind you than out in front of you. Yeah, so I think we're twelve days back at this stage with the club. How's uh, how's the hamstrings holding up? Yeah, good, good. Yeah, um, the the club has been like we we've got a really good management team in place, so. Training's been excellent. Um, it's good to get back to the balls. There's a good, there's good energy in in Ballymoor. Um So it's been good banter and and uh, you know training's being decent. So it's just it's just one of those things you just want to get back playing games now at this stage, you know. So we've got the games coming, got a couple of friendlies coming up as well. So um, it's just you know we've done a bit of training. I'm sure every other county player has, has an and club player has been training their asses off while they have to spare time. It's now been, you know, it's, it's getting to that stage where you just want to now go and see how much that's benefited you. Are you enjoying it? I think it's some buzz. Like, we up in Scaries had a Rahini yesterday in a friendly, and, like, you know, seeing Brian Fenton playing on a friendly, it's, you know, it's really novel. Like, we're over in some community pitch, and is that great? Because the Ballymun are obviously one of the clubs that people think, well, this is great for them because they're always missing a lot of their teams throughout the year, whereas now this is happening before the inter-county season starts. Yeah, well, we'd be missing obviously six players out of the, out of the squad, like, um, so that's quite difficult for us every year. But definitely, it's it's probably a year that we we have to look at and say, you know what, um, we haven't got that excuse anymore. Let's let's get on with it now. Um, but it's great because you've got young lads coming through that I think if they rubbed off the quality of the lads, that the experience that these lads, the six lads have. It'll help them develop. So that's that's key, you know. What what are they rubbing off in terms of culture, in terms of leadership, and and uh, also then the game with you. So yeah, like I mean, we train in Poppetry Park. We've trained a lot in Poppetry Park, which is where we started off as young kids, um, because we couldn't go back to the club, obviously. But we're back with the club. We've a brand new Astro that was only being relayed. So yeah, it's great. It's it's nice to be back there. And 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 again, like when you talk about Brian Fenton and. Dublin players in, in general were very grounded we don't think you know that we shouldn't be playing friendlies or that we shouldn't be playing in parks or whatever like you know um, I think that the key thing for me is to make sure that you never forget where you came from Yeah is it, is it tough though because even though you know obviously a big club man I sort of find myself coming down on the side of this whole county I actually hate this debate club v county but you know, it seems like you guys are putting in so much time and effort and sacrifice, you know, into being county players. Like, like way more than most club players would do. So 
it seems to me that every chance you get should be going towards that goal as well because that's just it's a higher level and you're you're sacrificing more for that so surely you always have a, a at least one eye on that even now I'd say yeah you do like, I mean you're putting 40 40 odd hours a week that's, and, and, and that's not just us that's at most county teams if not more uh, a week with which are in the county team, so it's it's hard to disconnect from one to your at, at certain times of your career. Like you know, um, let's say for example, the the most difficult thing would be you you're going from getting to a, a winning all Ireland final and then going back playing with your club two weeks later. Like um, that's quite difficult, you know, and it, it's it's hard it's hard to 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 you know adapt into the into the into the club team from that, but. At the end of the day, like you wouldn't have, we wouldn't be where you are, where you are, if you didn't have the club, if you didn't have the people in the club to to invest the time and effort into you. Um, so that's key that you you have that in the back of your mind constantly, as much as there's days where you're gonna go, do you know what, do you know I want to focus on Dublin here. You just can't do that. Like it's just not respectable, like to your club and what they've done for you. And again, it comes back to the values that are ingrained in you when you're when you're when you're playing for your for a club. And making sure that you you realise that um, without that you wouldn't have that you wouldn't have that in football teams. Yeah, so like ideally, like not me and you aren't going to thrash out a new calendar, but would you just rather have the two separate? Like the way it is now, I know it's a, a much more condensed version, but it's nice almost that there's club now and then there's going to be county. I watched like for example the 2017 final you were in with Vincent's, and at the very start of the game. Yeah, the commentator's talking about John Small has a hamstring injury, Paddy Small has a calf injury, and it's like, God's sake, yeah. like, they're in the county final. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's like, yeah, and the crazy thing is, you're trying to play your best, and your brain is like, yes, let's go, let's let's really, you know, pull it in for the club and everything else, but your body is just wrecked. Your body is just not there. Like, you're running and you're trying to run and run hard and work hard. But you're not there, like, you know, and especially for lads that, let's say, you know, and it's it's a no-brainer, like, there's lads that have, let's say, that drink alcohol, haven't drank for the whole year, maybe little bits, but then have a bender for two or three days because they've won an all in the final. And then, you know, what comes with alcohol is this negative mindset and, and uh, this kind of fear <laughs> the next couple of days, like, so all of that, plays its part in the body breaking down um, you know you're fatigued and then you're going up and playing with the club and you're trying to get your body back up because mentally you you know you know what's needed and you know what's expected of you and then all of a sudden you try to you're trying too hard as well because you're expected to, you feel like you're expected to do more because you're a club player and then your body breaks down you pick up knocks and you pick up injuries and then there's no point you being there like you know because you're, you're no good to the squad in terms of not being physically able to play. Yeah, I, I didn't even think about it that way. Like, because you're living, <laughs> living like a monk for most of the year, and then yeah, you're allowed to take the foot off the gas for a few days before you're you're back into Ballymun's biggest uh, part of the calendar. That is a bit mad when you think of it. Like, was was the lockdown then good in a sense where you could actually just think, I don't need to be here at this time. I don't need to eat absolutely perfectly every single day. Was that was that a nice sort of mental release? Yeah, the lo- lockdown for me was great because, um, and I've I've made this publicly already. Like, um, 2017 and 18 were quite difficult years for me because of my dad's illness and his passing. So, 
I didn't actually want to play football. Um, I wanted to spend time with my dad, and my dad was kind of like play football, so I was actually playing football for him. Um, but I, I kind of just lost the love of it because I was so distracted on my dad's illness. So for me, um, I've been on kind of catch up mode last year and this year to get in better shape, to get in better nick, to get fairer, and you know. But again, as you get older, that gets tougher as well. So. The lockdown has been great for me because it's got me to bridge that gap a little bit um, and to get get back up to where I need to. So, uh, but also I think, and I'm sure a lot of players would have experienced this in the lockdown, that the autonomy piece is is the best thing that that's happened from it. Like you know, like going training during the day, um, and not worrying of how fatigued you are because of you've trained that night or whatever, like it's just, it's being refreshing, like, you know, so, you know, 13 years of waking up in the morning and planning for that session at seven o'clock at night is quite difficult, like, you know, and it's probably only difficult towards, you know, the latter end of that that, 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 that time frame that you kind of go, I've been doing this for 13 years where I've been waking up, going to work, but thinking constantly what I'm eating, what food, what, what how well I'm hydrated, how well I'm rested, and then getting my head around how well I'm going to perform in training that night. Um, and it's crazy. Like, it's, it's crazy when you think about it. So we, we physically are doing 40-odd hours a week, but we are, we are constantly thinking of football. It's constantly yeah. there. Like, um, so I'm sure other footballers are, are feeling that little bit of refreshing kind of feeling that like I can go now and absolutely hammer myself up and down this pitch and not worry about being too sore to train tomorrow. <laughs> you know, uh, or, or not worry about me me being fatigued for a match in two days' time. That is an interesting one, isn't it? So, like, you're basically saying that you're always trying to make sure that you're ready to perform at training. And if you're doing that for yeah. a week, Jesus, like, I can't, I can't imagine. <laughs> you're trying to make sure yeah. you're the right pitch. Yeah, it's only when you do. It's only when you look at the. It's only when you go through the lockdown that you realise how much of the commitment it is. Actually, you know, um, and and that's. I'm sure there's even more players with more kind of of a commitment than me. Like you know, I'm sure there's players that have to travel a little bit further than I do. Um, but that's the whole thing of, the, you know, the sport, the sport that 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 is GAA. Like it's it's um, people will t- say that that's a special thing about it. People will say. That's probably the crappy thing about it, but it just depends on who you are and what you've experienced, I suppose. Yeah, well, well you're here today thanks to the Irish Association for Counseling and Psychotherapy. So just for anybody listening, like their look out, their look after yourself campaign is running all this week, and they want to get the message across to men, especially that attending therapy is normal, that it's good to talk, and that there's never any shame in asking for help. I mean. It's a great message that we had Shane Dowlin on the show there earlier and like he's talking about his highs were too high and his lows are far too low and like he's very he's very honest and he, he likes that he can front up to that but I suppose not everybody can. Yeah, like it, it was a perfect kind of fit for me in terms of what I'm about in terms of my social aspect um, and what I'm trying to do in terms of my purpose in life, you know. Um, I'm trying to impact the mental health issues that we have and, and also addiction, obviously, with my brother John uh, and his story. And John would have struggled with his mental health a lot, um, which I've no doubt have linked to his addiction. But for me, you know, we got to understand 
you know, we, we really do got to understand our, our, our biology, our psychology of who we are, you know, and I think that's that's the key messaging that I'm trying to get across to people that find it quite difficult to reach out and go for help, you know, um, because it's not it's not good enough for me or anybody else to come on and say, just go and get help or just talk. It's not as easy as that. It's not. As, it's very. It's a very complex issue, um, but it can. We need to make the make young men, especially, realise that it can be simple. It can be, you know, just picking up that phone. It can be just going and saying to a friend, "What do I do? Who do I reach out to?" Um, and 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 if you're one of those pairs that are kind of on the other side of it, that's kind of going, "Well, what do I do? Who do I tell you to go to?" Like, there's so much of it out there, but it's just about more of us kind of doing it and more of us then spreading it on to the next person because we'll all have adversity in our lives. We'll all have pain and suffering in our lives. There's no one that's not going to go through life and, and have a perfect life and not have a, any pain or suffering. So if we can realise this is a part of who we are, we're born, we're not born, our brain is, was, was developed for survival. It wasn't born to be positive or happy. And any time we, we have any negative emotions, the kind of, you know, feelings don't have to be the truth, if that makes sense. That, that, you know, when we feel something, it doesn't mean that's the truth, you know, but it does mean that we need feedback and um, something that needs to change. Um, and, and if we don't have the tools to be able to do that ourselves, that we can go and reach out and get help because... You know, and especially the time the time we're in at the minute, you know, with the pandemic, um, it's going to be there's going to be so many young, uh, young, young males and females who are going to be really struggling with their mental health because they're going to be exposed to a lot of trauma from home. So there's going to be more domestic violence. There's going to be more domestic abuse, sexual abuse, unfortunately. Just these things, you know, normally when kids have escaped to go out and play or go go to you know to a sports club or wherever it may be their escapes they're not they weren't probably there as much within the lockdown and I think it's it's key now that we we've de- developed this awareness to look at this is this is what is going to happen to us all at some stage in our life we're going to have issues with our mental health if you can't deal with it let's go and get help yeah, no, it was very well said. And I suppose, like, even for, for you, and I know this is from a football point of view, but like you said about not wanting to play in 2017 18 for more personal reasons than football, but obviously, football is such a big part of, of who you are. But then talking and, and communicating that is probably the most important thing you did, right? I, I assume that the, the team worked around it with you. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I, I suppose I was very lucky and I kind of with John's passing then my dad passed I'd, I'd learned a lot about life and death you know um, I'd learned grieving um, and this was my second time grieving and I was very lucky that I had teammates around me that could didn't have to talk about it but just basically said you know how was your dad like like for example and I always tell the story like Ono Garlet didn't really have to say how was your dad Ono Garrett would say to me, can I go busy or that? Mm-hmm. You know? And he didn't have to talk about his illness or anything about, or he didn't have to talk about my mental health around the whole thing. He just said, can I visit or that? And he knew, I, I guarantee he knew that would affect my me- mental health positively. 
So we can do things subconsciously that will impact us, impact our mental health. It doesn't have to be direct, but it can it can open the pathway for somebody. You know, um, I knew then if I ever struggled, I could speak to Owen. You know, he knew what my dad's circumstances were, where he was. He was up visiting in the house. And I know if he said to me one night, Philly House things with your dad, I'd have that barrier dropped that I'd be able to say, you cared about my dad, you cared about me, you went up visiting him in the house, and now I can speak to you. So when we're talking about affecting our mental health epidemic that we have had for a long time, our tribe and our, our friends and family members are so key to it. You know, when we think about it, we know there's nine contributing factors to mental health. There's depression and anxiety, and seven of those are social. Two of them are biological. So if there's seven of them are social, then we must realize that we are we are developing a lot of these mental health issues from societal norms and cultures, but we're also the people that can be the antidote. You know, by developing our tribe, by becoming closer to, to each other, and by realising that you might have one person of 100 or 200 people you could name that are friends or family, that there's one person that can give you that, that can listen to you, to, to, to basically guide you to come and get help. Yeah, lovely stuff. Um, I was going to ask you about Brian Penny, because I saw you, you'd done a chat with him after reading his book, and one of the quotes that you pulled out, and I was interested that you pulled that out, it was, um, best things in life are often at the other side of fear. Is that yeah? Is there a model that you use, or what? What, what does that mean for you? Yeah, like uh, I just think for me in life, a lot of the a lot of the, the good things that I've had in life and have have come from things that I would have, or, or most people would maybe fear. You know, um, you know, people will fear maybe Ballymore. I love Ballymore. I wouldn't have changed it. I wouldn't if someone gave me a house in Black Rock with no disrespect to anybody from Black Rock, but it, you know, uh, had a twelve bedrooms. I wouldn't change it from me flat. You know, Ballymore gave me a huge amount of gifts, and you know, John, unfortunately, you know, his issues and his experiences, he pushed me in in the right pathway because of that. Um, so everything, and, and even if it's just a simple thing of wanting to get your jersey on a team, you got to train hard. you got to go through that pain. Or if it's, you know, you know, when it comes to people's mental health, especially men, it's just realising that that one conversation of ringing somebody first and going and asking, or going and getting help will give you that motivation and it'll kick you on to the next motivational team. It's like when you wake up in the morning time. If you start, the, you know, they are saying, wake up the wrong side of the bed. Yeah. You know, you'll get, you, you, when you wake up the wrong side of the bed, you will complain about the weather. You will not want to go to work. You'll probably bad feel thinking it'll make you uh, feel good, but actually the aftermath is going to make you feel bad energy-wise. And then you talk to people and you have lack of energy and your body language changes. So, so that's all it takes. You've got this motivational wheel that if it's like, okay, I'm going to look into getting help, there's your first step. Then it's going to reach out to somebody and get help. Who do I talk to? There's your second step. And then it's going and doing it. There's your third step. And then at, at when you go through that process of counselling, that the outcome can be so 
so inspiring to others, but so refreshing for you as an individual to kind of go, I've, I've actually went through pain and suffering and adversity and I've come out of that. And that can be, that you, you could become an activist. You don't have to, but you can get to a stage where you are showing people and, and you know, people are following what you're doing. Someday somebody might need you to, to give them guidance to, to get to that stage. So the pathway of developing who we are, as I said, as people, like realizing that we'll all have to go through this pathway eventually and that we need to normalize it and not be ashamed of it and, and, and go and, and drop any kind of conscious behaviors we've developed over generations that's been passed down to us. Um, we need to start to change that to impact the mental health uh, epidemic that we have. Would uh, you boys in the Dublin setup be like sharing literature with each other or like reading the same book or, or anything like that? Oh, definitely. Like, uh, one thing you can say about, uh, I can't speak about other inter-county players or club players, but the Dublin team, you know, there's the guys that, they're, they're, they're very smart. They're very smart. Um, and not only from a book book smart point of view, but they're, they're, they're quite educated, uh, every single one of them. I would say that I can think off the top of my head, have, have degrees, some have masters. Um, and they're constantly trying to learn. They're constantly trying to read books, podcasts, um, you know, sharing things. Because you just don't know where you can gain a little gem or a little nugget from somewhere. Because we all have, look, if we're all GA players, we all have the same blind spots. Mm. So, um, so I think that's key that, you know, and that, that only starts with growth mindset. It only starts with people that are willing to learn and are willing to be wrong. Because one of my uh, favourite things about a double win in all Ireland over the last few years is Dermot Connolly's Instagram post afterwards. Because <laughs> a couple of times he he's taken a picture in the changing room area and there's been a quote at the back at the back of the wall. And I always wondered is that was has that been your sort of quote for the year, your motto for the year? So 2017, it was you know, but happiness must happen, but you have to let it happen by not caring about it. So it seemed to be a whole thing about you know just if you do things right, it'll work out in the long run. And then 2016 was a Charles Darwin thing where it got me thinking about the, the Michael Jordan documentary because this was a whole thing about natural selection. Somebody who's willing to sacrifice himself for the greater good, then that tribe would be successful. Like, you know, like, and then the reason I thought about Michael Jordan was the whole thing about him was trying to get him to buy into the, the team emphasis while still being brilliant. Yeah, like, look, at look, it's not something that we're doing that nobody else is doing like this, you know, but it depends on who you are as a player. If that's something that motivates you, great. If it's not, then you might, something else might motivate you, you know? So, um, you know, over the years, you would have seen quotes on change rooms and in all sports, you know, they're only little, little key motivators. Um, when in fact, there's so much that goes into performance. Um, and you'll have teams latch on to that and go oh that's Dublin's motto let's let's look into that let's delve into that and that's grand if you want to do that <laughs> but it just means it just means that like you know um, you're spending time on something that you could be you, you could be you're wasting time on something that you could be spending time on something that's more important like if I seen a quote in someone's change room another county team's change room you know, I'd look at it and go, okay, and then I'd move on, <laughs> you know, because 
you know, there's there's so much more to the sport than just a quote. Like, but it, it does help players. It does help certain players. Um, just depends on who you are. Well, tell me this. Um, when I was watching that 2008 game, I couldn't help but notice that you were starting out your Dublin career as a as a wing back, and now there seems to be a, a wing back position free. Is that something that you got your eye on? Yeah. Oh, look at at this stage, whatever you can get a jersey, I'll take. But um, there's there's plenty of more wing backs there, so I don't know. But but, but look at as I said, when you play with a, such a special group, um, it's just a privilege to put any jersey on, regardless of the number. Um, you know, I suppose yes, you do play certain positions, but when you're asked to do a job, I've played, I've I've had number two on, number four on my back, and I've played in the half forward line, marking certain players. Like you know, I remember a couple of years ago, Martin, marking Matty Donnelly, and Matty Donnelly would drop right back into the half back line. So on their kickouts, I was standing as a half forward nearly. So you you don't really think of positions; you think of your job for the team. Yeah, and like to tell me, did uh, did Jack have a message to the captain of players? Did he send a video into the WhatsApp group, or you know, did he, did he announce yeah, it? Look, he just, yeah, yeah, he just said, look, you know, he sent a message into the WhatsApp group, and and uh, look, the lads have massive respect for Jack, and and if a player, look, we're not professionals. If a player wants to take a break, you know, who was any player or any person outside of that, in, in you know, in, in terms of GA, you know, to question it, it's. You know, it's it's. We have so much going on in our lives outside of the sport. I'm not sure if that was the reason why Jack stepped away, but he certainly wanted a break, and just got to, You got to respect that. And you know, uh, as much as he'll be missed, and that it'll be a loss for the team, there's definitely an opportunity there for somebody to step in, and we've got the quality to do. Yeah, and what about yourself? Just finally, like, I don't want to talk you into retirement, but but 13 seasons now. You're only 32, but um, like. Do you ever think yourself that you might want to break at some stage? Yeah, look, it's 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 been an amazing journey for me. Um, I'm still, I still have that little bit of hunger inside me to to uh, to be a part of the squad. Um, I suppose when you when you're looking at stepping away, you have to ask a few questions and you have to have the answers to them. Like you know, um, does the manager want you? Do you feel with the team? What can you give to the team? What energy can you give to the team? What you know in in terms of outside of the sport, you know, um, what's happening with your job, what's happening with your career, what's happening with my wife, and um, all these things, my family. So you got to be thinking of all those things. And then look, I've got a huge amount from the sport. I'm not a player to be hanging around just because I'm an intercounty player. Like um, I'm not defined as an inter. I wouldn't wouldn't define myself as just an intercounty intercounty player. Like you know, so um, for me. I've been very fortunate to get everything I've got out of the sport and you know if if tomorrow is the time because I don't have the answers to those questions or because the management team not need me then I'd be happy to, to step away but um, I'm hoping that I can give something to the squad this year and who knows then after that Yeah. Well Sully thanks a million for your time it's great No problem at all thanks for having me on all right, as Wooly would say, we've gone way over time, so thanks a million for listening, and we'll chat to you next week. I'm not finished yet, it took me a long time to get here. Both players have, have spoken with each other, and uh, 
and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other, and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. But these fellas, they get such a shit shock next Saturday evening that we put them back in their f***ing houses for f***ing years.